visit CatholicCounselors.com. This is Full-Time Catholic Radio for Southeast Michigan, 990 WDEO, Ypsilanti, Detroit. Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. From the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Glad to be here for another two hours talking about the things that matter most. The second hour of today's program, we're going to be enjoying a conversation with uh, one of the most uh, trusted names uh, in Detroit media over the last generation, Chuck Gatica. Uh, for more than 40 years, uh, Chuck has been serving as meteorologist, as anchor, reporter uh, on the NBC affiliate, WDIV, Channel 4 in Detroit, and has recently uh, returned to the Catholic Church into which he was baptized as an infant. He's also got a number of other important projects going on that uh, we want to talk about and introduce you to those. But that's coming up in the second hour of today's program. We're going to lead off today, though, talking about what's happening in Nicaragua. Daniel Ortega is the dictator of Nicaragua. Many people forget that during the 1980s, Ortega tried to get Catholic priests and uh, other uh, Catholic laymen into his government in order to seduce the Catholic Church in Nicaragua. Now, of course, he has come back and shown his true colors, and he's been launching persecution on the Church, imprisoning priests, kicking others out of the country. We're going to talk about his work down there with uh, Andrea Pachati Bear from the Conscience Project. Also coming up today... Uh, the Catholic case for George Washington. Now, this is a little bit, a little bit unusual. You know about the 1619 Project and its allies that claimed that Washington and the Founding Fathers thought the protection of slavery was the most important issue in the Revolution. Uh, they're fairly easy to write off, at least in terms of scholarship. But there's another group that's arisen, and a lot of them Catholics, who criticize Washington and his contemporaries on the grounds that America's problems today can be traced directly back to the form of political liberalism that the Founding Fathers embraced, basically Lockean uh, Liberalism. Jerome Foss is going to be joining us on that. And then we take time with Monsignor Michael Hines to look at the adventure of living in Christ. Discipleship is, in fact, an adventure. And we want to take time to unpack all this meant by St. Paul's phrase, in Christ. But first, we want the headlines. Thanks, Al, and good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Wednesday, March 1st. It's the Feast of St. David of Wales. And today's news is brought to you by the Ave Maria Family of Funds at AveMariaFunds.com. Daniel Ortega's regime has prohibited holding Stations of the Cross in the streets of Nicaragua this Lent. 
This comes as Ortega has claimed the church is a mafia organization. Officials arrived at Ash Wednesday Masses last week to inform the faithful of the new rule, claiming it is for security reasons. The regime has cracked down on the church in the last several months, often citing security reasons in bringing charges against priests and bishops. Pope Francis is praying for the victims of a train crash in northern Greece. 36 people were killed and more than 75 were injured when two trains collided about 200 miles north of Athens yesterday. The cause of the crash is unknown. A local station master has been arrested and two others are being questioned. Americans are out a record-breaking $8.8 billion thanks to scams last year. New data from the FTC shows reported fraud losses increased more than 30% in 2022 from the previous year, despite the number of fraud reports decreasing. A new bill to ban TikTok has passed through a key House committee. The legislation has moved through the Republican-controlled panel along party lines with no Democratic votes. This comes as the social media company is rolling out new features to help limit the amount of time kids spend on the app. And a megachurch in Texas is following a recent trend and leaving the United Methodist Church. In a statement by the St. Andrew Methodist Church in Plano, the congregation voted by a wide margin to leave the UMC. Data from the UMC website shows that more than 2,000 congregations have disaffiliated from the church since the General Conference upheld the church's ban on LGBTQ clergy and same-sex marriages. Conservative congregations that approve the ban have reportedly been leaving because of less conservative congregations that are ignoring the ban. With your AveMariaRadio.net news, this is Bryant Shanley. There's a very famous a picture of uh, Pope John Paul II during his visit to Managua, uh, Nicaragua, back in 1983. And uh, there's a priest, Ernesto Cardinal, uh, who was a, well, basically a revolutionary priest. Uh, he, Cardinal's there wearing his trademark peasant blouse. He has his black beret on. And he's kneeling on the tarmac and trying to kiss John Paul II's ring. But at that moment, John Paul II rebuked him, told him that as a priest he needed to regularize the situation and get out of playing politics in Nicaragua. I bring this up because this is back, this is 1983, and Daniel Ortega was the head of the Sandinistas at that time, and he was trying to seduce, perhaps, uh, the Catholic Church in Nicaragua. Well, what's happened now, Daniel Ortega has decided that he is going on the offense against the Catholic Church, and um, he calls the Church corrupt, criminal. Uh, He's now banned Stations of the Cross in the streets. And joining me to discuss this uh, situation in Nicaragua, we've got Andrea uh, Pachati-Bear, who's a legal analyst for EW10 News. She also directs the Conscience Project and is a fellow at the Institute for Human Ecology at the Catholic University of America. You can follow her on Twitter at Bear Pachati. We'll have that listed in the Crested Guest Archives. And you can also visit conscience-project.org. Andrea, good to have you back. Al, thank you so much for having me on. This is an important issue for it the is. church and for the world. I just think I remember back in 1983 when uh, this Ernesto Cardinal was corrected by John Paul II. And at that time, 
it was thought that uh, the Sandinistas were friendly to the church. That certainly is not the, not the case today. Tell me what's going on there now under Daniel Ortega's regime. Well, you know, Al, you're absolutely right. Um, Daniel Ortega, he's been in and out of power since the late 70s in um, Nicaragua. He's now had a reign since 2007 as president um, with incredibly suspicious uh, rigged elections in 2016. And he's been a man who has claimed to have reinvented himself and or rediscovered his Catholicism. And it was just all a show. He is mm-hmm. the same man that he's always been, yep. which has been a leftist Marxist guerrilla. And the one entity that he can't topple, in addition to you know, fighters for democracy, is the Catholic Church. Right, right. Um, what are some of the oppressive steps he's taken to interfere with the church and its personnel? You know, it's really, up, he's upped his game recently, um, and starting in 2016, after those uh, m- the most recent elections, there were protests, protests, um, people that were concerned about the, the diminishing presence of democracy in the Central American country, and he cracked down on them, and the church that has a significant presence in Latin America in general and in Nicaragua in particular were speaking up in defense of pro-democracy protesters. They tried to dialogue, uh, the famous word of dialogue, mm-hmm. with the Ortega regime and Ortega ended up throwing them under the bus as well as representatives of pro-democracy movements, people that were you know, just trying to pre- present themselves as candidates for presidency. He has imprisoned priests, seminarians. Um, he has shut down Catholic-run radio stations, which we know are so important yeah. to our faith here at home yeah. and abroad. And most recently, he has incarcerated and sentenced to 26 years and four months Bishop Ronaldo Alvarez of Matagalpa, um, calling him a, a terrorist and a traitor to his country, stripping him of basically civic life um, in in addition to expelling and exiling over 200 political dissidents. And as you mentioned when we're in the beginning of, of our segment, he has now declared kind of unlawful the, the gathering of Catholics during Lent and Holy Week to pray the Stations of the Cross, and I'm assuming this inco- it covers um, the Passion during Holy Week as well. When these kind of uh, actions are taken against the Church, its personnel, and it, as an institution, uh, does the Holy See <clears throat> get involved at all? You know, Pope Francis has um, called upon the entire church to pray for those that are being persecuted and unjustly um, incarcerated. He has spoken of the situation in Nicaragua. As you can imagine, it's a delicate diplomatic issue because there are a number of clergy serving the people, including Bishop Alvarez, who continues to hold his see even though he's basically incommunicado in um, a maximum security uh, prison outside of Managua. I think that um, the, the Vatican is leading and the world community needs to follow in denouncing not only the religious persecution going on, but the effort to stamp out democracy 
with a very brutal force in Nicaragua. How, I mean, you know, Ortega's been there a long time, and as you said, he's been in and out of power. How does he think this ends? <laughs> I just, the church isn't going away. He must know that. You know, it's it's an amazing um, blinded blindness that um, authoritarians have, and we can look just at recent history in our own lives when we've seen dictators um, brazenly wield authority. We can see it now in mm-hmm. Venezuela, in Cuba, China, um, and and Russia. And and there is this kind of um, haughty arrogance yeah. that seems to be missing from um, their leadership and is so foreign to anyone of faith, where we're grounded in humility, humility yeah. before God. Um, I do think that it's important that we notice that here in the United States we're feeling the impact, not only the grave offense against human rights, but many Nicaraguans are fleeing their home countries mm. because it, they're unable to live peacefully there, and they're coming to our country, burdening already a difficult situation, immigration situation. And so it's in our interest that our neighbors to yeah. the south have stable governments in a place where freedom, and especially freedom of, of belief, mm-hmm. are protected um, and, and able to be enjoyed. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, I think of but the, these autocratic leaders, these dictators, um, and they, they have to know that in the end, the church is still going to be there. It's been 2,000 years. It's something like what's, what Satan must be thinking. I mean, he's, he has to know that in the end, he loses. And yet, he goes at it. That's what Ortega reminds me of. Almost a Luciferian rage against, uh, against God, and in this case, against the church. Absolutely. I mean, there's definitely um, traces of the demonic, the, as I mentioned before, the exiles who have come here and that have been interviewed since they um, landed in the United States just a, a week or so ago, talk about the depravity of the conditions that yeah. they were in while they were incarcerated. But Al, I really need to say, sometimes we see difficulties in our society and we, we put our hope in governments, yeah. and especially the strong arm of government, yep. um, and we need to be very mindful that um, as we pray and we try to make change in our culture that we don't weaponize our governments right. against the vulnerable because it will always come back um, against the church and against her believers. Yeah. I always like to point out that government is the only agent in society that we give the the right of uh, capital punishment to. Uh, it can use force. Fathers can't use force. Businessmen can't use force. Priests can't use force. But governments can use force. And uh, so whenever we uh, begin to rely on uh, civic governments, we always have to remember we're also... By we're implicitly condoning, uh, or at least uh, implicitly recognizing that they, that the state has the power to inflict punishment on people in a way that no other sector of society does. So it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. No, Al, you're absolutely right, and especially mindful of governments are made up of flawed human beings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, at, at the moment, then, do can Catholics still gather for Mass in Nicaragua? 
So there hasn't been restrictions yet on the right to worship, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ortega claims um, public peace and stability as a reason to shut down, especially during these important times. And we know the enemy in general, Satan, cannot stand worship, especially at this time of Lent in preparation for, um, you know, the sacrifice on the cross and commemorating uh, on Good Friday and all throughout the Easter Tridium. So this this banning of the Stations of the Cross, what's, is there a rationale given for it? You know, I lived out in South America for over a decade in in the beautiful country of Colombia, and there is um, a wonderful communal expression during Holy Week especially, but also, you know, prior to Holy Week, of taking to the streets, kind of like, you know, when we do Eucharistic processions here in the U.S., and, and that the Stations of the Cross, whether they be live Stations of the Cross or just communal, are very important parts of bringing a community together. Yeah. Um, dictators can't stand people coming together. They want to control people, isolate, divide. And so these cultural traditions that bring people together are an incredible threat to someone like Ortega. Yeah. You mentioned earlier uh, uh, Nicaraguans fleeing their country, looking for asylum in the United States. Obviously, our immigration status right now, the way we're treating it, it makes it difficult for them to get asylum here, doesn't it? You know, there has been, and I know that Venezuela has had some um, lessening of rules because of the Maduro presidency, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry to say that I'm not quite sure what the status is for Nicaragua. I know that the political um, exiles, the formerly political prisoners that were sent, were given two years to be able to prepare their applications for um, asylum, mm-hmm. which is huge, but again, um, anyone that's lived out of their homeland knows that what you really want to do is return home, yeah. and it's not a solution. It was a diplomatic measure that that deserves some applause, but the solution is that they can return back home to their families and to their country. Andrea, thank you so much. Uh, Wonderful talking with you again, and we'll stay in touch. Thanks so much, Al. Andrea Pachati-Bear is legal analyst for EW10 News and directs the Conscience Project. I'm Al Cresto. My dad, sharp as a tack, but getting him out for a dentist trip got harder every year. When he moved to the senior residence where he lives now, Dr. Mansoor's portable dental service was a godsend. Dr. Mansoor comes to wherever the homebound patient may be, whether in a nursing facility or the comfort of home. All the services you'd expect in a dentist office brought straight to the patient's door. Call 586-873-5567. That's 586-873-5567 or portabledentalservices.com. CMF Curo is a Catholic health care ministry providing families nationwide with a better solution centered around whole health, spirit, mind, and body. Our members share their medical burdens within a faith-filled community. At CMF Curo, our members have access to a spiritual director, concierge services, and other health and spiritual resources. Find out if CMF Curo is a better solution for your family. Visit MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. And now, a Meditation Minute from Father Gabriel Richard High School. I'm Dominic, a senior, with a reflection on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. How many of us want to be rich? 
How many of us want to be able to live without worry of the future or how we will support ourselves? Can we really say that these are bad things to desire? Jesus warns us against covetousness, which is really idolatry, with the parable of the rich fool. We live in a time when the idealized approach to life is to ensure prosperity, to free ourselves for other things. Financial responsibility is important, St. Paul says so to the Romans, but we cannot let money become an end in itself. This is what Jesus warns us against. Life is unpredictable, and nothing we can do can prepare us for every possibility. If that becomes our goal, what happens to faith? No matter what we do, we must be rich in what matters to God. This Meditation Minute is brought to you by the students, faculty, and staff of Father Gabriel Richard High School. What do you do when you feel someone is taking advantage of you? It could be a tough conversation to have when someone overstays his welcome or is constantly asking you to borrow money because he can't seem to ever hold down a job. What would Jesus say? Every subject we approach should come from a place of love and peace. Not always easy for yours truly, who is quite emotional and loud at times. I really have to pray before I broach a sensitive subject, and the longer I wait, the worse it is, because resentment sets in. In the Gospel of Matthew, it reads, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Put yourself in that person's situation. Maybe he needs direction or guidance. Maybe you can help him find a new place to live or a new job. Give the person a realistic timeline and share with him how the current situation has affected you. It's about open communication. It doesn't have to be a tough conversation. This has been a Christ Center Communication Message. I'm Vanessa Denhagarmo, a communications evangelist. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. We've talked on this program a number of times about the uh, distorted picture of American history that we get through the 1619 Project and its allies. Uh, they claim that uh, the Founding Fathers of the United States uh, thought that uh, protection of slavery was the most important issue in the Revolution and, the, and then the founding era generally. But recently there's another group that criticized Washington and his contemporaries on the grounds that America's problems today, its uh, problems of libertinism, uh, its uh, distorted understanding of freedom, 
that they can be traced directly to the form of political liberalism that the Founding Fathers uh, believed in and uh, built this nation on. So basically, America's problems today are just, a, you might say, the logical living out of those early premises that the Founding Fathers had. With me to talk about this uh, is Professor Jerome Foss. He is professor of politics and director of the St. Vincent Center for Catholic Thought and Culture at St. Vincent's College. He also co-leads the Benedictine Leadership Studies Project there. He's the author of two books, Flannery O'Connor and the Perils of Governing by Tenderness and Constitutional Democracy and Judicial Supremacy, John Rawls and the Transformation of American Politics. Jerome, good to have you here. Thanks. Thanks, Al. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Let's let's talk about this. You in Law and Liberty um, Law and Liberty blog, you have a piece, an essay you wrote on the Catholic case for George Washington, and you you make uh, you point to John Carroll's eulogies in honor of George Washington uh, as a corrective to the storyline that the American founding was thoroughly anti-Catholic. Uh, and, you know, that it had brought into a false form of political liberalism, too. Why is John Carroll so important here? Well, the Carroll family in general is very important uh, to the, the story of America's founding. They were a very prominent family in Maryland. Uh, Maryland was originally founded um, as a colony with, with some Catholic, uh, or some hopes by Catholics that it would be a place where English Catholics could live. Um, with some toleration under English law. And so the Carroll family had been well-established in Maryland for a long time. Charles Carroll of Carrollton uh, was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, the only Catholic to sign the Declaration. Daniel Carroll, who was cousins to Charles, participated in the Constitutional Convention. He was one of two Catholics to sign the Constitution. The other was uh, Thomas Fitzsimmons. Um, and... Uh, John Carroll, in some ways the most important, um, was the brother of Daniel, cousin of Charles, and he was the first bishop in America mm. uh, after the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Uh, and it was really significant that he was he was named bishop. Uh, it was the first time, I think, since the Reformation that that a new see had been established in a nation that was not a confessional state. So oh, okay, big deal for the for the Vatican to recognize. Um, the diocese in, in uh, North America. Um, and it was also a clear signal to Catholics living in America at the time that, uh, that America was, was a, a, offered new opportunities, uh, that this was a place where Catholics uh, would be able to live side by side with, with Protestants and others. Um, and there were some, certainly some anti-Catholic aspects to the culture. Sure. Uh, some holdovers from from uh, life under English law, uh, the, the, it was really difficult to be to be a Catholic in the 13 colonies, even Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, for example, I think was the only only city that allowed a public mass, a um, legal public mass. Most wow. uh, most places in the English colonies, Catholic masses were not legal, and it was certainly illegal to send your your sons to a Catholic school. But the Carrolls were sent to uh, to an English-speaking Catholic school in France, where they received a Catholic education. Charles, Daniel, and John, and John stayed in Europe afterwards, 
<clears throat> ended up becoming a priest, became a Jesuit, and, uh, and had to come back to America, and came back to America just in time for the Revolutionary War. And when the war was over, it was decided that a, a diocese was to be established here. Uh, he was the natural natural choice for yeah. So he he represents uh, the most prestigious Catholic uh, families in America. He's uh, a bishop. Uh, he's well aware of uh, the anti-Catholicism of so many of the colonists, and um, but he doesn't pin that on the founders. He, he he can honor George Washington. He didn't see George Washington as implicitly anti-Catholic. Uh, nor did he see George Washington as implicitly in favor of slavery. Talk to us a little bit about how Carroll, and again, I'm going to take him as a proxy for um, educated Catholics at the time. Uh, What did he say about Washington? Well, he greatly admired Washington. He admired uh, many of the other other founders as well. Um, he had the opportunity to get to know Benjamin Franklin, for example. They, they were on a diplomatic mission to Canada together. It was ultimately an unsuccessful mission in terms of what they were hoping to accomplish, but it gave Franklin the opportunity to get to know a Catholic priest, and, and they remained very friendly towards one another throughout the remainder of Franklin's life. But Washington was a figure that John Carroll um, really admired uh, and and, and they knew each other. They, he knew him personally. It wasn't just admiration from a distance. Mm-hmm. He knew Washington himself. Uh, there was uh, there were letters exchanged between them when Washington was president. Some official letters. Um, the, the most famous letter was from all three of the Carrolls that I mentioned. It was John John Carroll writing as the bishop, and Charles and Daniel and a few other Catholics writing on behalf of the laity. They sent a letter to to George Washington congratulating him on his election as president. Um, George Washington famously wrote them back a letter um, thanking them for their faithfulness to to America and uh, really welcoming them and and the whole Catholic community uh, as part of the nation. Um, But John Carroll, Bishop John Carroll's admiration for Washington ran very deep, and that's very clear in his eulogies. He, He gave two eulogies for Washington, one almost immediately upon Washington's death, and then a longer one that was, uh, I think he spent more time planning it on the celebration of the first birthday, Washington's first birthday Mm -hmm. after his death, February 22nd. And um, the second one in particular demonstrates Carol, and and I think you're right to use him as a proxy, um, Carol and other Catholics feeling and belief that that Washington uh, was great, not not just because of his own virtues as a man, but because of the ways in which he allowed himself to be used by providence. And this was not just the Catholic, Catholic way of viewing Washington. Right. There were right. others who saw Washington this way, too, that he seemed to be put on the earth you know, at this time and at this place to serve a very particular role. Mm-hmm. in history, and it's in American history and world history. Yeah. And his openness to performing that, that role, his cooperation with Providence, was held up by Carroll in these eulogies as um, something to be thankful for, and even something that Catholics should imitate, that we should all 
we have so much trust in providence that we allow providence to to, to shape our lives and to, to use us to shape the world around us. Washington is remembered for his farewell address as well, in which he talks about religion and morality as the indispensable uh, supports of a, a free government with a virtuous citizenry. Um, so that John Carroll didn't see that the freedom envisioned by uh, Washington uh, was necessarily a, a, a cloak for libertinism. Correct. Yeah, he mentioned the farewell address in his eulogy. Um, he, he, in fact, he points to it a couple of times as something that Americans should be reading and thinking about, uh, and particularly the part you just mentioned. Washington reminds Americans that that America is the sort of republic that can only be kept if the people remain virtuous, if yeah. they remain uh, moral and faithful. And he says in his farewell address that it is it is a mistake to think that we can actually retain morality, that we can remain a moral people if we're not a religious people. Right. And um, and Carol saw that as being a very sincere statement that uh, religion was very important to Washington. It wasn't just wasn't just a cloak. It was it wasn't indeed important. And it's important in two ways, and, and these are not contradictory to one another. And I think sometimes people make this mistake that there are times where the founders in, in Washington, too, speak of religion as being useful for the maintenance of America. Sure. Social utility. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a utilitarian sort of argument there. That could be true, but that doesn't necessarily take away from the fact that that, that the proper worship of God, that the, the the just worship that is owed to God is itself good. Yeah. Um, in fact, if, if, if uh, religion is good in and of itself, then we would hope that it wouldn't <laughs> undermine our political life. Exactly. It would be supportive of our political life. Yeah, yeah. He, Washington had a phrase that he used, uh, it's, it's been pointed out, it's been used roughly at least 48 times in his, his writings. It's his vision of citizens and communities living freely under their own vine and fig tree. It's a phrase he takes mm -hmm. from the Old Testament, which is used It's used to describe Solomon's reign, where Israel's power and prosperity were unmatched. Uh, and it's used not just, um, not just as a way of encouraging economic privilege or escape or even personal peace and affluence. It, it's used by Washington to describe an ideal of freedom, of independence, of simplicity, of work, its rewards, all these kind of things, freedom of conscience. And I just think this is a beautiful expression. And he, he started, I think the first time he used it was in a, a speech or a letter that he wrote to a Jewish community. So he really went out of his way uh, to embrace, uh, he wanted to make sure that Jews felt they were full citizens, and I'm sure he felt that way about Catholics. He did, yeah. There, there were many organizations and uh, communities that sent Washington letters of congratulation, just like the Catholics did. And Washington responded to these letters, and his letter to the Jewish community is a very famous one. His letter to the Quakers is another famous one, but yeah, you said it well. He had the beautiful vision of freedom, and that vision of freedom corresponds with a duty to the community that he himself embodied. 
Jerome, thanks so much. I hope we can talk again. I really appreciated the uh, piece you wrote. I appreciate it very much. Thank you very, very much for having me. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor, the Lansing Guild of the Catholic Medical Association. The annual Rose Mass for Catholic Healthcare Workers will be Saturday, March 18th at Christ the King Church in Ann Arbor, followed by a dinner at Fox Hills Country Club in Plymouth. Email cmalansing at gmail.com for dinner tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. Resetting your password, unsubscribing from emails, printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. We'd all love to do more to spread the gospel, but where do you start? One simple way is through the ministry of hospitality. People need places to experience godly fun and fellowship. Let your home be that place. Make your home the welcoming place the neighborhood kids like to hang out. Be the family that organizes the annual block party. Invite people over once a month for a meal or game night or other activity where you can build relationships and spread a little joy. Evangelization is all about creating connection and letting people experience the difference God's grace makes in our lives. By letting people experience how God's love is lived out in your family, you're sharing the gospel in a subtle but powerful way. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. In 2005, my sister experienced a brain injury, leaving her unable to speak for herself and make her own decisions regarding medical care. Since she had not established a health care agent by creating a health care durable power of attorney, the courts decided to leave the medical decisions to Michael, Terry's husband. Because of this, Michael was able to remove Terry's food and water, dehydrating and starving her to death by court order. There are many reasons why someone may need a feeding tube, such as an illness or injury, that leaves a patient with difficulty swallowing. Usually, feeding tubes are short-term solutions until the patient can swallow on their own. St. Pope John Paul II clarified that food and water by tube is basic care owed to patients and not a medical act. We never know when you or a loved one may be faced with an injury. I urge you to have a conversation with your family and to identify a health care agent to make sure your life wishes are known and to take the step of finalizing a health care power of attorney. It could very well save your lives. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. Mom, Dad, it's your kids here. We know you love us, but we can feel the stress in the house. You try to hide it, but we can hear you arguing. We're scared about what's happening. Our friend's parents had problems, and they went to a RetroVi weekend. It's a marriage program that helps couples through rough times. RetroVi has tips and techniques that really work. 
even with big problems. Go and try Retrovive, will you? Please? You can recover what you lost. Learn more at helpourmarriage.org. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. I don't think I mentioned that during the time uh, on the Good News Cruise, I gave a talk there on the adventure of discipleship, uh, taken from a title of a book my friend Dan Keating wrote a few years ago. The reason it caught my eye, that phrase, and adventure of discipleship, is because I suspect that most Christians don't associate adventure and discipleship. Uh, it's not like love and marriage or horse and carriage. Oftentimes, the Catholic way of life is presented as something tame, habitual, routine, institutional, safe, something that doesn't threaten to shake anybody up, uh, in fact, boring. And we forget that when Jesus bids us to come and follow him, he doesn't lay down a blueprint for us. We are learners. We are disciples. Uh, and there's an open-endedness to our discipleship and his guidance in our lives that I think we should always keep in mind. To follow Jesus is to incur risk, uh, requires courage, invites conflict with the world. Well, I saw in First Things uh, the other day an essay by Monsignor Michael Heinz, which is entitled The Adventure of Living in Christ. And I thought, I've got to talk to him about this. Uh, Monsignor is academic dean and associate professor at Mount St. Mary Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. He joined the faculty there in 2016, after more than a decade at the University of Notre Dame, where he taught undergraduate courses in theology and was director of the Master of Divinity program. His areas of study include historical theology and the history of spirituality. And Monsignor, great to have you back. Well, well, Alan, it's great, to, it's great to hear your voice. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Good, good, good. Thank God. Your, the, your title, The Adventure of Living in Christ, actually gets us to focus in on one of St. Paul's most meaningful phrases, in Christ. Why don't you lead off? Sure, sure. Well, to be honest, truth be told, the title was not my original title. It was the editor at First Things had actually suggested it. And my original title was Dislocated from Christ. Because, <laughs> because my fear is that the, the certain ways of living actually dislocate us from being in Christ. So the theme of being in Christ is, is certainly the theme, the thread that, that runs through the piece. Uh, but eventually, our, our life is, I do use the language of adventure, which I get from Pope Benedict, actually, uh, in the concluding paragraph. But yes, uh, St. Paul, his language, he uses again and again the, the notion of us being in Christ. And, and whether we think of it as terms of being engrafted into Christ by our baptism, or living in deep communion with Christ by his living within us by grace. So Christ is in us, and we are in Christ, Paul will use both terms to express the the intimacy and the closeness of that relationship. And really, to be a Christian is to be someone who lives in Christ and in whom Christ lives. I mean, it, it's it's basically it's almost it's mystical, isn't it? I mean, there's something yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to understand it with the eyes of faith because it isn't something that can be analyzed by tools of science, certainly. Right. Uh, and it, it has to do with Christ. Again, the invitation, if you read the Gospel of St. John, throughout the Gospel, the language of, there's a particular verb that recurs. It's translated different ways, sometimes abide, sometimes remain, sometimes stay. But it's the same verb in Greek, the whole thing. And the theme of abiding in Christ, or in Christ abiding with me, yeah. is a theme that's in the Gospel of John, the letters of John, and even in, in the book of Revelation. Um, 
for example, it comes out in Revelation with, you know, Al-Makam coming and sup with you. You know, like the idea of being in communion with. Yes. That's, that's the invitation Christ offers us, and that's really where our, ident- our identity has to be found. Is, is our identity is most fundamentally, once we're baptized, our fundamental identity is to be in Christ mm. as a new creation. Many uh, Christian communities, Catholic, non-Catholic communities, often present a body of belief that must be subscribed to, a set of fixed beliefs. Uh, and they give the impression that if you assent to this set of beliefs, then that's really what's important. Uh, of course, beliefs are important. Uh, rules are important. But there isn't any implicit invitation to explore what it means to be abiding in Christ. That's an invitation to a mystical way of life. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's, I think, for example, of people who are involved in the RCIA or OCIA now, uh, bringing people into the practice of the faith and the life of faith, um, it would be, for someone on the outside looking in, we might say that what it means to be Catholic is to subscribe to the creed and the, the everything that's in the catechism of the Catholic Church. Yeah. Well, actually, that is true, but that's not sufficient. Yeah. Okay, that, that is not the fullness of Catholic faith. That's an intellectual assent to particular propositions, mm-hmm. which is necessary to be a Catholic. That's true. And some would say that, you're right, you're right, you're right, Father. You're, you're exactly right. It's not just another belief. It's, you actually have to live a moral life. You have to live the right kind of life. Well, that's actually true as well. Like, to be a Catholic means to strive after the life laid out for us by Christ. That's absolutely true as well. It's also insufficient. No. Um, Christianity isn't just an intellectual system. It's not just a philosophy. It's not even just a way of life or morality, although it involves both a philosophy and a morality. It involves an intellectual uh, grasp of reality, and it also involves living a particular way. But both of those things, both the intellectual grasp of the truth and our living out of that truth in a moral life, both of those are rooted in something even deeper, which is a personal transformation that happens to us by sacraments. And so the new wine, okay, can't go into an old wineskin. What Christ has come to bring us, we couldn't begin to grasp it in terms of understanding or begin to live it apart from being transformed by him into a new wineskin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a matter of the deepest level of conversion is not just intellectuals saying, I now believe everything the church teaches. That's good. We should. It's not even a matter of I live a really upright life. That's good, because we should. But I would point out that there's any number of really, really good pagans who are living virtuous lives. Yeah, that's right. That's not the same thing. Christianity isn't reducible just to a morality. It, it, it does have a moral dimension, but that morality, as well as the doctrinal life of the Church, flow from a personal transformation, an encounter with a living person named Jesus Christ, who changes us in that encounter. And by sacraments, we participate in his life and he and ours in a deeply intimate way. That is an ongoing transformation. That's why the sacraments, not baptism or confirmation, of course, but the other sacraments are repeated. We can repeat the sacrament of penance. We, can re- we go to communion, we can go daily yeah. to deepen that, that transformation that begins in our baptism. And so that what's, what's the, the goal is that what's fully present in Christ is not yet fully present in us, even though we're in communion with him. We are in process, so to speak. We are in, that's the adventure that is to be a Christian. Adventure here doesn't mean just lots of fun. It means also it's a risk. It's a venture. It's, yeah. it's stepping outside of our comfort zone to grow and to come follow him. I mean, you think of the apostles or disciples in the Gospels. Come follow me. They dropped everything and left and went and followed him. Yeah. They hadn't done a Google search. They hadn't done a limited criminal background check on him. They went and risked everything to, and as, as St. Mark says about what discipleship is, the, the principal thing is to be with him. 
our principal role as disciples is to be with Christ, to live with Him, to live in friendship with Him, daily prayer, conversation with Him, deep familiarity with His script, with what He teaches in the Scriptures, right. like living the Gospels, knowing the Gospels well. Pope Francis, beautifully, a uh, number of years ago, first or second year of his pontificate, had suggested that the Catholics carry a pocket New Testament in their wallet, or in their briefcase, or in their purse. And in free moments to, to spend time with the gospel, yeah. I think that's spectacularly wise advice. Yeah. To delve into the gospels and to come to know Jesus in the gospels, it's not the only place we know him, but that's a privileged witness in written form to who Jesus is and what he does. You've already answered to some degree already, but I'll ask it to make it explicit. There are many of our listeners right now who... They do embrace the, uh, the, the, the true propositions uh, offered mm-hmm. by the church. They do accept the moral teaching of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's become safe, routine. It, mm-hmm. What they don't have is they don't really know what, in an experiential way, mm-hmm. what it means to be abiding in Christ, mm-hmm. as you pointed mm-hmm. out earlier, mm-hmm. or having Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do they, you know, so they've kind of settled, if you know what I mean. They, yeah. I, I yeah. say this because of my own experience. So you kind of settle at some I, point. And say, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it's where they don't have it. They don't realize they have it. Right. It's like, you know, it's it's uh, it's like somebody who gives you a gift of a box. And you think, oh, it's a lovely box. It's wooden. It's carved. It's lovely. And you put it on the shelf and it's, oh, I'll use it sometimes. <laughs> Not realizing that inside that box is some incredible treasure. Yeah. You didn't realize it because <laughs> yes, that's good. you're not paying attention to it. You're like, you saw the box. <laughs> We've been given this gift of faith and to realize the riches that are in it. Now, that means that to understand and to experience this means taking time to be quiet, to spend time in, in silence, which is very hard for us in our culture because we're constantly, both visually and, and orally through our ears, we're, we're filled with sound and vision and images. Not that they're all bad, it's just that we need to like withdraw from yeah. some of that and just spend some time in choir. And, and real conversation with Jesus, just talk to him. You're probably not going to hear voices, that's okay. But he's speaking to us every day in his word, especially at Mass and the liturgy, but even our personal encounters with him in the Gospel. So that would be the first step you would recommend then, is to take time to be quiet. Yeah. My, my suggestion to most people is, is find a place in your house, a chair, a room that you never use or hardly ever use. Like there may be a living room that's kind of more formal that no one ever actually uses, no one actually lives in the living room. And there's a nice chair in the corner there with a table next to it. And make that place a, a spot where you'll try to pray every day. Because if you go to the same place every day, the muscle memory will kick in. If I try to pray while I'm at the sink in the kitchen, it's noble that I want to pray there. It's going to be hard for me to pray there because I'm used to washing dishes. Yeah, you know, yeah that's right. Baby bottles and doing any number of other things. But if, if after a few days and weeks of going to that same spot in my house and trying to pray there, my body will know as soon as I get to that spot, that chair, oh, wait, I'm going to pray here because the only thing I've ever done in that chair is pray. Yeah, yeah, And you can make a little prayer spot in your room. Now, that's not a substitute for going to church, of course. But what it is, it gets you into the habit of a daily, maybe five minutes. doesn't have to be an hour or two. Start small. Three to five minutes a day. Sit in that chair. Maybe read the gospel for the day. Yeah. Track down a Magnificat or, or a Roman Missal or this, this day. And spend time with the gospel that day. It's amazing how three minutes initially will seem long and then will seem very quick. Yeah. And to, to make that place, to be regular about it, uh, again, three to five minutes a day, and what will happen is that, that will start to grow. 
And you'll realize what we're talking about in terms of living in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, which you have already by baptism. That's right. It's there. Yeah. We just need to lay hold of the gift. I think that I think that's great, and I I really appreciate the uh, d- d- not despising starting small. You know? mm-hmm. uh, I oh, think, I, I think most people like look at how how did most of us start our Lent? We had this superstructure of practices, abnegations, <laughs> devotions that we were going to do, and by Thursday afternoon, half of them had fallen apart. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. fact is, just pick one thing. Be simple. One thing, this is what I'm going to do this line. I'm going to do X, or I'm going to give up Y, and be really faithful to that one thing, rather than have this superstructure of pious devotions, noble in intention, and extraordinarily frustrating and defeating when by the first week of Lent you already dropped half of them. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Pascal who said all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. And and I often think like how many problems in our lives would be how many difficulties we face every day that could be handled probably by getting to bed on time. Yeah. No, very good. We were up too late. Then we get up too late in the morning. We're, we're grumpy. We're just so let's get to bed on time, and that takes care of so many of the things that we think are problematic in our lives. Yeah, simple things. Simple things, Al. How, do you, when you see the the, cate, the catechetical establishment in America, are they are they aware of this kind of thing that you're talking about? I, I think so. I mean, the, the people I've worked in, my experience, have been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was at the cathedral in South Bend. I had a magnificent uh, uh, colleague, a woman who was a spectacular catechist, and she understood, and, and good catechists do, catechesis is not fundamentally about imparting information. Right. We do have to impart information. I teach in a seminary. My job isn't principally to impart information. It's actually to form these men to be priests, which isn't the same thing as having information. There's lots of people who can have the information right. that doesn't form them to be the right. So the catechumen is about forming persons and preparing them for the gift that baptism is, but also forming them to begin to live that life even now. And what they're going to discover is after baptism, they've got this new resource of supernatural life and grace that they didn't have before baptism that's enabling it. It makes sense of that life that they've been trying to lead, and it also assists them in, in embracing it more fully. Amen. So I, think, I think many good catechists get this, um, and good, good, good folks who, who understand that, that it's not just a matter of giving people information. I mean, I grew up in a, an age, I'm 55 years old, and I grew up in a generation where, frankly, catechesis was pretty darn weak. Yeah. And there was, there was, it was, let's downplay information. Well, the answer to that is not simply give people information. We need to impart the faith as intellectually uh, respectable, but it's not just about giving people ideas. It's yeah. about handing on a relationship with a person, introducing them to Jesus Christ and having them encounter him yeah. in a way that makes it life-changing, truly. Monsignor, thank you once again. Great talking with you. Hey, Alex, great. You take care of yourself. You, t- you too. Thank you. Support for this Ave Maria program comes in part by the not-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Shopping for insurance, mortgage products, Catholic health coverage, identity protection, or financial planning? Anthonyservices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for all those and more. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. STAnthonyservices.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. Light of the East, weekends on Ave Maria Radio. 
I'm Father Thomas Loya. This week on Ave Maria, on the second Sunday of Lent, we focus on contemplative prayer, which enables us to see in the crisis in Ukraine the mystery of the cross put before the eyes of the world. Saturday evenings at 8.30 and Sunday mornings at 9 on 990 WDEO, Ave Maria Radio. I'm angry, frustrated. Sound like you? Someone you know? Well, it could be any of us from time to time. But there's different types of anger. It's not so cut and dry. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Ray. One thing is for sure, you don't need to suffer with anger frustration. In my book, Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration, you'll learn whether your anger is a product of your nature or your nurture and how to regulate those emotions and those thoughts. You can get Living Calm and all my other books at AveMariaRadio.net. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. being with me this last hour and uh, really when we took a look at uh, world affairs in the first segment we took a look at America's self-definition uh, with George Washington in the second segment in the third segment we took uh, a look at what it means to be in Christ well next hour we talk to a man who has spent a good deal of his life as one of the most trusted and beloved voices in uh, southeast Michigan uh, Chuck Gatica joins me to talk about the journey that led him to the Catholic Church. I'm Al Cresto. We'll be right back. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, weekdays on Ave Maria Radio. The AP is now saying that news people cannot refer to pregnancy resource centers as pregnancy resource centers or crisis pregnancy centers. They have to refer to them as anti-abortion centers because we're misleading the public by saying that they're offering resources, apparently. It is about consistently putting forth a culture of death to anything you want sexually being extremely woke every time you turn around. This is more proof that all they care about is their own agenda. And they're doing this to their own demise. If you look at the ratings, for example, of CNN, if you look at the subscription rates, right, of various newspapers, whether it's online or still hard copy in in print, continuing to decrease. And yet they do not care because it's about the agenda. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, Weekday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. On the next Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. We'll keep you closely connected to the faith with the latest from Rome, the front lines of the pro-life movement, and we'll also take a look at other crucial issues facing you and your family in our one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic Connection, weekday mornings at 8 a.m. on 990 WDEO. Fire on the earth, Peter Herbeck. Jesus said you're the light of the world, and one of the things that he meant by that was the Christian people understand the larger story that's unfolding in history. So as St. Paul said, as the saints echoed very clearly, we're now living through 
just a, a short moment, a slight momentary affliction, he calls it. 